Section 6 of Pamela, or Virtue Rewarded. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pamela, or Virtue Rewarded, by Samuel Richardson. Section 6. Letter 30. My dear father and mother, I write again, though may be I shall bring it to you in my pocket for I shall have no writing, nor writing time, I hope, when I come to you. This is Wednesday morning, and I shall, I hope, set out to you to-morrow morning. But I have had more trials and more vexations, but of another complexion too a little, though all from the same quarter. Yesterday my master, after he came from hunting, sent for me. I went with great terror, for I expected he would storm, and be in a fine passion with me for my freedom of speech before. So I was resolved to begin first, with submission, to disarm his anger, and I fell upon my knees as soon as I saw him, and said, Good sir, let me beseech you, as you hope to be forgiven yourself, and for the sake of my dear good lady your mother, who recommended me to you with her last words, to forgive me all my faults, and only grant me this favor, the last I shall ask you, that you will let me depart your house with peace and quietness of mind, that I may take such a leave of my dear fellow-servants as befits me, and that my heart be not quite broken. He took me up in a kinder manner than ever I had known, and he said, Shut the door, Pamela, and come to me in my closet. I want to have a little serious talk with you. How can I, sir? said I. How can I? and wrung my hands. I pray, sir, let me go out of your presence, I beseech you. By the God that made me, said he, I'll do you no harm. Shut the parlor door and come to me in my library. He then went into his closet, which is his library, and full of rich pictures besides, a noble apartment, though called a closet, and next the private garden, into which it has a door that opens. I shut the parlor door as he bid me, but stood at it irresolute. Place some confidence in me, said he. Surely you may when I have spoken thus solemnly. So I crept towards him with trembling feet, and my heart throbbing through my handkerchief. Come in, said he, when I bid you. I did so. Pray, sir, said I, pity and spare me. I will, said he, as I hope to be saved. He sat down upon a rich settee, and took hold of my hand, and said, Don't doubt me, Pamela. From this moment I will no more consider you as my servant, and I desire you'll not use me with ingratitude for the kindness I am going to express towards you. This a little emboldened me, and he said, holding both my hands between his, You have too much wit and good sense not to discover that I, in spite of my heart and all the pride of it, cannot but love you. Yes, look up to me, my sweet-faced girl. I must say I love you, and have put on a behavior to you that was much against my heart, in hopes to frighten you from your reservedness. You see I own it ingenuously, and don't play your sex upon me for it. I was unable to speak, and he, seeing me too much oppressed with confusion to go on in that strain, said, Well, Pamela, let me know in what situation of life is your father. I know he is a poor man, but is he as low and as honest as he was when my mother took you? 
then I could speak a little, and with a down look, and I felt my face glow like fire, I said, Yes, sir, as poor and as honest too, and that is my pride. Says he, I will do something for him, if it be not your fault, and make all your family happy. All, sir, said I, he is happier already than ever he can be, if his daughter's innocence is to be the price of your favor, and I beg you will not speak to me on the only side that can wound me. I have no design of that sort, said he. Oh, sir, said I, tell me not so, tell me not so. Tis easy, said he, for me to be the making of your father without injuring you. Well, sir, said I, if this can be done, let me know how, and all I can do with innocence shall be the study and practice of my life. But, oh, what can such a poor creature as I do and do my duty? Said he, I would have you stay a week or fortnight only, and behave yourself with kindness to me. I stoop to beg it of you, and you shall see all shall turn out beyond your expectation. I see, said he, you are going to answer otherwise than I would have you, and I begin to be vexed I should thus meanly sue, and so I will say that your behavior before honest long men, when I used you as I did, and you could so well have vindicated yourself, has quite charmed me, and though I am not pleased with all you said yesterday, while I was in the closet, yet you have moved me more to admire you than before, and I am awakened to see more worthiness in you than ever I saw in any lady in the world. All the servants, from the highest to the lowest, dote upon you, instead of envying you, and look upon you in so superior a light as speaks what you ought to be." I have seen more of your letters than you imagine. This surprised me, and am quite overcome with your charming manner of writing, so free, so easy, and many of your sentiments so much above your years and your sex, and all put together makes me, as I tell you, love you to extravagance. Now, Pamela, when I have stooped to acknowledge all this, oblige me only to stay another week or fortnight, to give me time to bring about some certain affairs, and you shall see how much you may find your account in it. I trembled to find my poor heart giving way. Oh, good sir, said I, spare a poor girl that cannot look up to you and speak. My heart is full, and why should you wish to undo me? Only oblige me, said he, to stay a fortnight longer, and John shall carry word to your father, that I will see him in the time, either here or at the swan in his village. Oh, sir, said I, my heart will burst, but on my bended knees I beg you to let me go to-morrow as I designed, and don't offer to tempt a poor creature, whose whole will would be to do yours, if my virtue would permit. I shall permit it, said he, for I intend no injury to you, God is my witness. Impossible, said I. I cannot, sir, believe you after what has passed. How many ways are there to undo poor creatures? Good God, protect me this one time, and send me but to my dear father's cot in safety. Strange, didn't fate, said he, that when I speak to you so solemnly I can't be believed. What should I believe, sir, said I? What can I believe? What have you said but that I am to stay a fortnight longer, 
and what then is to become of me? My pride of birth and fortune, dim them both, said he, since they cannot obtain credit with you, but must add to your suspicions, will not let me descend all at once, and I ask you but a fortnight's stay, that, after this declaration, I may pacify those proud demands upon me. How my heart throbbed, and I began, for I did not know what I did, to say the Lord's Prayer. None of your beads to me, Pamela, said he. Thou art a perfect nun, I think. But I said aloud, with my eyes lifted up to heaven, Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil, O my good God. He hugged me in his arms and said, Well, my dear girl, then you stay this fortnight, and you shall see what I will do for you. I'll leave you a moment and walk into the next room, to give you time to think of it, and to show you I have no design upon you. Well, this, I thought, did not look amiss. He went out, and I was tortured with twenty different doubts in a minute. Sometimes I thought that to stay a week or fortnight longer in this house to obey him, while Mrs. Jervis was with me, could do no great harm. But then, thought I, how do I know what I may be able to do? I have withstood his anger, but may I not relent at his kindness? How shall I stand that? Well, I hope, thought I, by the same protecting grace in which I will always confide. But then, what has he promised? Why, he will make my poor father and mother's life comfortable. Oh, said I to myself, that is a rich thought, but let me not dwell on it, for fear I should indulge it to my ruin. What can he do for me, poor girl as I am? What can his greatness stoop to? He talks, thought I, of his pride of heart and pride of condition. Oh, these are in his head and in his heart, too, or he would not confess them to me at such an instant. Well, then, thought I, this can be only to seduce me. He has promised nothing. But I am to see what he will do if I stay a fortnight. And this fortnight, thought I again, is no such great matter, and I shall see in a few days how he carries it. But then, when I again reflected upon this distance between him and me, and his now open declaration of love as he called it, and that after this he would talk with me on that subject more plainly than ever, and I shall be less armed, maybe, to withstand him, and then I bethought myself, why, if he meant no dishonor, he should not speak before Mrs. Jervis. And the odious frightful closet came again into my head, and my narrow escape upon it. And how easy it might be for him to send Mrs. Jervis and the maids out of the way, and so that all the mischief he designed me might be brought about in less than that time. I resolved to go away and trust all to Providence, and nothing to myself. And how I ought to be thankful for this resolution, as you shall hear. But just as I have writ to this place, John sends me word that he is going this minute your way, and so I will send you so far as I have written, and hope by to-morrow night to ask your blessings at your own poor but happy abode, and tell you the rest by word of mouth, and so I rest till then and for ever, your dutiful daughter. Letter 31 Dear Father and Mother, I will continue my writing still, because, maybe, I shall like to read it, when I am with you, to see what dangers I have been enabled to escape, and though I bring it along with me. 
I told you my resolution, my happy resolution as I have reason to think it. And just then he came in again, with great kindness in his looks, and said, I make no doubt, Pamela, you will stay this fortnight to oblige me. I knew not how to frame my words so as to deny, and yet not make him storm. But, said I, forgive, sir, your poor distressed servant. I know I cannot possibly deserve any favor at your hands, consistent with virtue, and I beg you will let me go to my poor father. Why, said he, thou art the veriest fool that I ever knew. I tell you I will see your father. I'll send for him hither to-morrow in my traveling chariot, if you will and I'll let him know what I intend to do for him and you. What, sir, I ask you, can that be? Your honor's noble estate may easily make him happy, and not unuseful, perhaps to you, in some respect or other. But what price am I to pay for all this? You shall be happy as you can wish, said he. I do assure you. And here I will now give you this purse, in which are fifty guineas, which I will allow your father yearly, and find an employ suitable to his liking, to deserve that and more. Pamela, he shall never want, depend upon it. I would have given you still more for him, but that, perhaps, you'd suspect I intended it as a design upon you. Oh, sir, said I, take back your guineas. I will not touch one, nor will my father, I am sure, till he knows what is to be done for them, and particularly what is to become of me. Why then, Pamela, said he, suppose I find a man of probity and genteel calling for a husband for you, that shall make you a gentlewoman as long as you live. I want no husband, sir, said I, for now I began to see him in all his black colors. Yet being so much in his power, I thought I would a little dissemble. But, said he, you are so pretty, that go where you will, you will never be free from the designs of some or other of our sex, and I shall think I don't answer the care of my dying mother for you, who committed you to me, if I don't provide you a husband to protect your virtue and your innocence, and a worthy one I have thought of for you. Oh, black, perfidious creature, thought I, what an implement art thou in the hands of Lucifer to ruin the innocent heart! yet still I dissembled, for I feared much both him and the place I was in. But whom, pray, sir, have you thought of? Why, said he, young Mr. Williams, my chaplain, in Lincolnshire, who will make you happy. Does he know, sir, said I, anything of your honor's intentions? No, my girl, said he, and kissed me, much against my will, for his very breath was now poison to me but his dependence upon my favor, and your beauty and merit, will make him rejoice at my kindness to him. Well, sir, said I, then it is time enough to consider of this matter, and it cannot hinder me from going to my father's, for what will staying a fortnight longer signify to this? Your honor's care and goodness may extend to me there, as well as here, and Mr. Williams and all the world shall know that I am not ashamed of my father's poverty." he would kiss me again, and I said, If I am to think of Mr. Williams or anybody, I beg you'll not be so free with me. That is not pretty, I'm sure. Well, said he, but you stay this next fortnight, and in that time I'll have both Williams and your father here, for I will have the match concluded in my house. 
and when I have brought it on, you shall settle it as you please together. Meantime, take and send only these fifty pieces to your father, as an earnest of my favor, and I'll make you all happy. Sir, said I, I beg at least two hours to consider of this. I shall, said he, be gone out in one hour, and I would have you write to your father what I propose, and John shall carry it on purpose, and he shall take the purse with him for the good old man if you approve it. Sir, said I, I will then let you know in one hour my resolution. Do so, said he, and gave me another kiss and let me go. Oh, how I rejoiced I had got out of his clutches! So I write you this, that you may see how matters stand, for I am resolved to come away if possible, base, wicked, treacherous gentleman as he is. So here was a trap laid for your poor Pamela. I tremble to think of it. Oh, what a scene of wickedness was here laid down for all my wretched life! Black-hearted wretch, how I hate him! For at first, as you'll see by what I have written, he would have made me believe other things, and this of Mr. Williams, I suppose, came into his head after he walked out from his closet, to give himself time to think how to delude me better. But the covering was now too thin and easy to be seen through. I went to my chamber, and the first thing I did was to write to him, for I thought it was best not to see him again if I could help it, and I put it under his parlor door, after I had copied it, as follows. Honored sir, your last proposal to me convinces me that I ought not to stay, but to go to my father, if it were but to ask his advice about Mr. Williams, and I am so set upon it that I am not to be persuaded. So, honored sir, with a thousand thanks for all favors, I will set out to-morrow early, and the honor you designed me, as Mrs. Jervis tells me, of your chariot, there will be no occasion for, because I can hire, I believe, Farmer Brady's chase. So, begging you will not make it amiss, I shall ever be your dutiful servant. As to the purse, sir, my poor father, to be sure, won't forgive me if I take it, till he can know how to deserve it, which is impossible. So he has just now sent Mrs. Jervis to tell me that since I am resolved to go, go I may, and the travelling chariot shall be ready, but it shall be worse for me, for that he will never trouble himself about me as long as he lives. Well, so I get out of the house, I care not. Only I should have been glad I could, with innocence, have made you, my dear parents, happy. I cannot imagine the reason of it, but John, who I thought was gone with my last, is but now going, and he sends to know if I have anything else to carry. So I break off to send you this with the former. I am now preparing for my journey, and about taking leave of my good fellow-servants, and if I have not time to write, I must tell you the rest, when I am so happy as to be with you. One word more. I slip in a paper of verses on my going. Sad poor stuff, but as they come from me, you'll not dislike them, maybe. I showed them to Mrs. Jervis, and she liked them and took a copy, and made one sing them to her, and in the green room, too. But I looked into the closet first. I will only add that I am your dutiful daughter. Let me just say that he has this moment sent me five guineas by Mrs. Jervis as a present for my pocket, so I shall be very rich, for as she brought them I thought I might take them. 
he says he won't see me, and I may go when I will in the morning, and Lincolnshire Robin shall drive me. But he is so angry, he orders that nobody shall go out at the door with me, not so much as into the coach-yard. Well, I can't help it, not I, but does not this expose himself more than me? But John waits, and I would have brought this and the other myself, but he says he has put it up among other things, and so can take both as well as one. John is very good and very honest. I am under great obligations to him. I'd give him a guinea, now I'm so rich, if I thought he'd take it. I hear nothing of my lady's clothes, and those my master gave me, for I told Mrs. Jervis I would not take them. But I fancy, by a word or two that was dropped, they will be sent after me. Dear sirs, what a rich Pamela you'll have if they should! But as I can't wear them if they do, I don't desire them, and if I have them, will turn them into money, as I can have opportunity. Well, no more, I'm in a fearful hurry. Verses on my going away 1. My fellow servants dear attend to these few lines which I have penned. I'm sure they're from your honest friend, and wish her well, poor Pamela. 2. I, from a state of low degree, was placed in this good family. Too high a fate for humble me, the helpless, hopeless Pamela. 3. Yet though my happy lot was so, joyful I homeward from it go, no less content when poor and low, than here you found your Pamela. 4. For what indeed is happiness, but conscience, innocence, and peace? And that's a treasure I possess, thank heaven that gave it Pamela. 5. My future lot I cannot know, but this I'm sure, where'er I go, whate'er I am, whate'er I do, I'll be the grateful Pamela. 6. No sad regrets my heart annoy, I'll pray for all your peace and joy, from Master High to Scullion Boy, for all your loves to Pamela. 7. One thing or two I've more to say, God's holy will be sure obey, and for our Master always pray, as ever shall poor Pamela. 8. For, oh, we pity should the great, instead of envying their estate, temptations always on em wait, exempt from which are such as we. 9. Their riches, gay deceitful snares, enlarge their fears, increase their cares, their servants' joy surpasses theirs, at least so judges Pamela. 10. Your parents and relations love, let them your duty ever prove, and you'll be blessed by heaven above, as will, I hope, poor Pamela. 11. For if ashamed I e'er could be, of my dear parents' low degree, what lot had been too mean for me, unblessed, unvirtuous Pamela? 12. Thrice happy may you ever be, each one in his and her degree, and sirs, whene'er you think of me, pray for content to Pamela. 13. Pray for her wished content and peace, and rest assured she'll never cease, to pray for all your joys increase, while life is lent to Pamela. 14. On God all future good depends, serve him, and so my sonnet ends, with thank ye, thank ye, honest friends, for all your loves to Pamela. Here it is necessary the reader should know that the fair Pamela's trials were not yet over, 
but the worst were to come, at a time when she thought them at an end, and that she was returning to her father. For when her master found her virtue was not to be subdued, and he had in vain tried to conquer his passion for her, being a gentleman of pleasure and intrigue, he had ordered his Lincolnshire coachman to bring his travelling chariot from thence, not caring to trust his Burfordshire coachman, who, with the rest of the servants, so greatly loved and honoured the fair damsel, and having given him instructions accordingly, and prohibited the other servants, on pretence of resenting Pamela's behaviour, from accompanying her any part of the road, he drove her five miles on the way to her father's, and then turning off, crossed the country, and carried her onwards toward his Lincolnshire estate. It is also to be observed that the messenger of her letters to her father, who so often pretended business that way, was an implement in his master's hands, and employed by him for that purpose, and always gave her letters first to him, and his master used to open and read them, and then send them on, by which means, as he hints to her, as she observes in her letter thirty, he was no stranger to what she wrote. Thus every way was the poor virgin beset, and the whole will show the base arts of designing men to gain their wicked ends, and how much it behooves the fair sex to stand upon their guard against artful contrivances, especially when riches and power conspire against innocence and low estate. A few words more will be necessary to make the sequel better understood. The intriguing gentleman thought fit, however, to keep back from her father her three last letters, in which she mentions his concealing himself to hear her partitioning out her clothes, his last effort to induce her to stay a fortnight, his pretended proposal of the chaplain, and her hopes of speedily seeing them, as also her verses, and to send himself a letter to her father, which is as follows. Goodman Andrews, you will wonder to receive a letter from me, but I think I am obliged to let you know that I have discovered the strange correspondence carried on between you and your daughter, so injurious to my honour and reputation, and which, I think, you would not have encouraged, till you knew there were sufficient grounds for these aspersions, which she so plentifully casts upon me. Something possibly there might be in what she has written from time to time, but believe me, with all her pretended simplicity and innocence, I never knew so much romantic invention as she is mistress of. In short, the girl's head turned by romances and such idle stuff, to which she has given herself up ever since her kind lady's death, and she assumes airs, as if she was a mirror of perfection, and everybody had a design upon her. Don't mistake me, however. I believe her very honest and very virtuous, but I have found out also that she is carrying on a sort of correspondence or love affair with a young clergyman that I hope in time to provide for, but who at present is destitute of any subsistence but my favor. And what would be the consequence, can you think, of two young folks who have nothing in the world to trust to of their own to come together with a family multiplying upon them before they have bread to eat. For my part, I have too much kindness to them both, not to endeavor to prevent it if I can, and for this reason I have sent her out of his way for a little while, till I can bring them both to better consideration, and I would not, therefore, have you be surprised you don't see your daughter so soon as you might possibly expect." yet I do assure you, upon my honour, that she shall be safe and inviolate. And I hope you don't doubt me, 
notwithstanding any airs she may have given herself upon my jocular pleasantry to her and perhaps a little innocent romping with her so usual with young folks of the two sexes when they have been long acquainted and grown up together for pride is not my talent as she is a mighty letter-writer i hope she has had the duty to apprise you of her intrigue with the young clergyman and i know not whether it meets with your countenance but now she is absent for a little while for i know he would have followed her to your village if she had gone home and there perhaps they would have ruined one another by marrying i doubt not i shall bring him to see his interest and that he engages not before he knows how to provide for a wife and when that can be done let them come together in god's name for me i expect not to be answered on this head but by your good opinion and the confidence you may repose in my honour being your hearty friend to serve you p s i find my man john has been the manager of the correspondence in which such liberties have been taken with me i shall soon in a manner that becomes me let the saucy fellow know how much i resent his part of the affair it is hard thing that a man of my character in the world should be used thus freely by his own servants it is easy to guess at the poor old man's concern upon reading this letter from a gentleman of so much consideration he knew not what course to take and had no manner of doubt of his poor daughter's innocence and that foul play was designed her yet he sometimes hoped the best and was ready to believe the surmised correspondence between the clergyman and her having not received the letters she wrote which would have cleared up that affair but after all he resolved as well as to quiet his own as her mother's uneasiness to undertake a journey to the squire's and leaving his poor wife to excuse him to the farmer who employed him he set out that very evening late as it was and travelling all night found himself soon after daylight at the gate of the gentleman before the family was up and there he sat down to rest himself till he should see somebody stirring the grooms were the first he saw coming out to water their horses and he asked in so distressful a manner what was become of pamela that they thought him crazy and said why what have you to do with pamela old fellow get out of the horse's way where is your master said the poor man pray gentlemen don't be angry my heart's almost broken he never gives anything at the door i assure you says one of the grooms so you lose your labor i am not a beggar yet said the poor old man i want nothing of him but my pamela oh my child my child i'll be hanged says one of them if this is not mrs pamela's father indeed indeed said he wringing his hands i am and weeping where is my child where is my pamela why father said one of them we beg your pardon but she has gone home to you how long have you been come from home oh but last night said he i have travelled all night is the squire at home or is he not yes but he is not stirring though said the groom as yet thank god for that said he thank god for that then i hope i may be permitted to speak to him anon they asked him to go in and he stepped into the stable and sat down on the stairs there wiping his eyes and sighing so sadly that it grieved the servants to hear him the family was soon raised with a report of pamela's father coming to inquire after his daughter and the maids would fain have had him go into the kitchen 
but Mrs. Jervis, having been told of his coming, arose, and hastened down to her parlour, and took him in with her, and there heard all his sad story, and read the letter. She wept bitterly, but yet endeavoured before him to hide her concern, and said, Well, good man Andrews, I can't help weeping at your grief, but I hope there is no occasion. Let nobody see this letter, whatever you do. I dare say your daughter is safe. Well, but, said he, I see you, madam, know nothing about her. If all was right, so good a gentlewoman as you are would not have been a stranger to this. To be sure, you thought she was with me. Said she, My master does not always inform his servants of his proceedings, but you need not doubt his honour. You have his hand for it, and you may see he can have no design upon her, because he is not from hence, and does not talk of going hence. Oh, that is all I have to hope for, said he, that is all indeed. But, said he, and was going on, when the report of his coming had reached the squire, who came down, in his morning gown and slippers, into the parlour, where he and Mrs. Jervis were talking. "'What's the matter, Goodman Andrews?' said he. "'What's the matter?' "'Oh, my child,' said the good old man, "'give me my child, I beseech you.' "'Why, I thought,' says the squire, "'that I had satisfied you about her. "'Sure you have not the letter I sent you, "'written with my own hand.' "'Yes, yes, but I have, sir,' said he, "'and that brought me hither, and I have walked all night.' "'Poor man,' returned he, with great seeming compassion, "'I am sorry for it, truly. "'Why, your daughter has made a strange racket in my family, "'and if I thought it would have disturbed you so much, "'I would have even let her go home. "'But what I did was to serve her and you too. "'She is very safe, I do assure you, Goodman Andrews.' and you may have my honour for it, I would not injure her for the world. Do you think I would, Mrs. Jervis? No, I hope not, sir, said she. Hope not, said the poor man, so do I, but pray, sir, give me my child, that is all I desire, and I'll take care no clergyman shall come near her. Why, London is a great way off, said the squire, and I can't send for her back presently. What, then, said he, have you sent my poor Pamela to London? I would not have said it so, replied the squire, but I assure you, upon my honour, she is quite safe and satisfied, and will quickly inform you of it by letter. She is in a reputable family, no less than a bishop's, and is to wait on his lady, till I get the matter over that I mentioned to you. Oh, how shall I know this? replied he. What, said the squire, pretending anger, Am I to be doubted? Do you believe I can have any view upon your daughter? And if I had, do you think I would take such methods as these to effect it? Why, surely, man, thou forgettest whom you talkest to. Oh, sir, said he, I beg your pardon, but consider my dear child is in this case. Let me but know what bishop and where, and I will travel to London on foot to see my daughter, and then be satisfied. Why, Goodman Andrews, I think you hast read romances as well as thy daughter, and thy head's turned with them. May I have not my word taken? Do you think once more I would offer anything dishonorable to your daughter? Is there anything looks like it? Prithee, man, recollect a little who I am, and if I am not to be believed, what signifies talking? Why, sir, said he, 
pray forgive me, but there is no harm to say what bishops or whereabouts. What, and so you'd go troubling his lordship with your impertinent fears and stories. Will you be satisfied if you have a letter from her within a week, it may be less if she be not negligent, to assure you all is well with her? Why, that, said the poor man, will be some comfort. Well, then, said the gentleman, I can't answer for her negligence if she don't write. And if she should send a letter to you, Mrs. Jervis, for I desire not to see it, I have had trouble enough about her already, be sure you send it by a man and horse the moment you receive it. To be sure I will, answered she. Thank your honor, said the good man, and then I must wait with as much patience as I can for a week, which will be a year to me. I tell you, said the gentleman, it must be her own fault if she don't write, for tis what I insisted upon for my own reputation, and I shan't stir from this house, I assure you, till she is heard from, and that to your satisfaction. God bless your honor, said the poor man, as you say and mean truth. Amen, amen, good man Andrews, said he. You see, I am not afraid to say amen. So, Mrs. Jervis, make the good man as welcome as you can, and let me have no uproar about the matter. He then, whispering her, bid her give him a couple of guineas to bear his charges home, telling him he should be welcome to stay there till the letter came if he would, and be a witness, that he intended honorably, and not to stir from his house for one while. The poor old man stayed and dined with Mrs. Jervis, with some tolerable ease of mind, in hopes to hear from his beloved daughter in a few days, and then accepting the present, returned to his own house, and resolved to be as patient as possible. End of section 6